I wish I had a notepad and piece of paper to take notes, but I'm going to have to re-listen to this this podcast a couple <laughs> times because that content was gold. I really do appreciate it. To know that it is going to provide an ROI for you, how many people in the audience would you need? Ten. That's it? Yeah. Yeah, Ten. absolutely. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Speaking on stage is actually the biggest fear in the world. It terrifies people. Today's guest is a professional speaker. He's actually built a seven-figure location independent speaking business and speaks at over 200 events per year. Most of those events are put on by his own company. Simone Vincenzi is his name and he is a master at the art of speaking, presentation, sales, and conversions. Today on the show, Simone and myself speak about how he manages producing over 100 and speaking at over 200 events per year. He shares about how he built his company into what it is today, how he sells from the stage, how to convert very small audiences with as few as 10 people, and how to get a name in the speaking world where you are consistently getting referrals. You guys, it's a high intense, incredible episode. I highly recommend this one. Without further ado, let's welcome Simone to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I'm incredibly excited to welcome my friend Simone Vincenzi to the show. Simone, how are you, my friend? I am incredibly well, Chris, and it's a pleasure to be here. It's always good to have a fellow podcaster on the show because fellow podcasters know how to podcast, and they always come prepared with good equipment, ready ready to go with everything we need, and I, I really appreciate that. Plus, you and I just met a couple weeks ago at Freedom X Fest, and we did a podcast on your show on location that will be published very soon. And uh, yeah, in the tent, uh, yes. it was so hot. It was so it became so warm in that tent. It was crazy. I, I wasn't gonna tell anybody there was in a tent, but you let the cat out of the bag. So why not? Hey, yeah, why we we have nothing? We have nothing to hide. And I think is is part of the. I mean, the show is about location independence, and the series is about location independence. Yeah. And when you are location independent. 
uh, sometimes you, you have to find some extra special arrangements <laughs> <laughs> to keep doing the things that you normally would do, right. maybe living room or an office space. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm trying to think, other than the tent, where the craziest place I did a podcast was. And I think uh, I've done them on the balconies of my apartment in Barcelona. What about you, other than the tent? Any other crazy oh. places? Crazy place. No, I think that uh, in a tent was the craziest place. <laughs> <laughs> in a tent was the craziest place I've ever done it. I mean, done a podcast. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's another rabbit hole. Uh, it was funny, though. People would walk by the tent and be like, oh, and then tiptoe while they're going by our tents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also I'm glad you're on the show because you presented at Freedom X and you did an amazing job. You were one of my favorite presentations and I was just taking notes the whole time. I was like, Oh, this is great content. Simone's doing 200 events a year, live events a year. And he's a master at building, building presentations, enrolling the audience. And he talked about how to build a seven figure speaking business from the front of the yeah. stage. So we're going to dive into all that great great content that you shared. But first, if we can get a background about you, Simone, and how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my background was uh, as many entrepreneurs, uh, completely different than speaking and presenting. Uh, uh, my background was in the catering industry. Uh -huh. That's how I started. My parents split up when I was 14 uh, because my father started drinking a bit too much. And so my mom said, no, no, goodbye. You're leaving the house right now. And uh, suddenly there was uh, not enough money to keep having the same lifestyle. And I still wanted to go out with my friends and you know, take my girlfriend out for an ice cream. And uh, I wanted to have some money for myself. And so I found uh, uh, the first job that I found through actually was a common friends was uh, working in a restaurant as a waiter and i absolutely love it i mean be, a waiter is this kind of jobs that a lot of people will do in their lives uh, working in restaurants or in bars or in pubs uh, to earn some extra money um, and a lot of people don't like it or they just do it because they have to while i absolutely love it. It became an, <laughs> a passion. It became, it became an obsession like speaking is right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that was my very first, also now that I reflect back, it was my first uh, ever speaker training. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Because <laughs> when you're a waiter and sometimes you have to take orders to tables of 30, 40, 50 people, Oh, we will do uh, weddings uh, or b large events with thousands of people. So that was for me, I see it as the first training in the event industry and also as a public speaker to entertain the audience that in this case were the people that were there to eat. <laughs> Makes sense. And, and I loved it so much that at the age of 19, I became the youngest Michelin star restaurant manager in Europe. Um, I was managing my first Michelin star restaurant and uh, that's how I arrived to London because someone saw me in Italy and said, uh, hey, why don't I have a Michelin star restaurant in Notting Hill in London? Why don't you come and work for me? Mm -hmm. um, I was 20, nothing to lose. I said, well, worst case scenario doesn't work and I'll take a flight back. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, I couldn't speak English much at the time other than asking what would you like to order or <laughs> can I replace your fork? <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of faith in you for sure. Uh, it did, it did. And um, it, it helped that he was Italian. And so he could see the skill and the attitude. And also was, uh, I could, uh, you know, just speak English a bit. Uh, and, and that was enough to do the first role. So then it was up to me to learn the language. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to learn English from that point? To completely arri to arrive to the point, I think there is a, a switch when you are learning another language. And the switch happens when you're thinking in the other language or you're dreaming in the other language. Right. And for me, it happened after three and a half years. Okay, gotcha. I and did have conversations. I could, after one year, my English was much better because also I made the vow of avoid other Italians like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to learn English. I don't want to stay because I had friends, in particular in a restaurant. They've been in London for six, seven, eight years, and my English was better than theirs. Than their English is like I don't. I'll, don't want to end up like this. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. It's a very good point. Uh, I want to talk about how, how long did you end up working with a restaurant or working with in the restaurant industry? Uh, up until I was 22. So I worked for two more years. And then uh, I decided that uh, I had enough because I'm very challenger even. And I, I was 22. I was managing Michelin star restaurants. The next stage would have been managing a chain of restaurants. And that's where I decided to go. And if that's, in fact, the link between me then and what I'm doing now, because I started attending events and training and seminars to become better professionally, because I didn't have any degree. I, I learned or I didn't have any qualification. I learned everything I knew on the field. So... To manage a chain or restaurants, I needed to have some diploma or degree management. And I started attending different seminars. And I remember I was sitting there at a seminar and I was 22. And suddenly, I, you know, when you have this awakening kind of moments, mm -hmm. when you just know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit pretentious to say you just know at 22. But I just knew at the time that that was going to be my next step. I said, I screw restaurants this is what i <laughs> so what kind of speaking did you want to do that, that was inspiring well, that's you the point i didn't have any freaking clue at that point <laughs> because i didn't even know that was a career that was a job i just said this is what i want to do but i didn't know so i looked at the other things that i loved doing uh -huh. and i always loved working with young people so i started attending public speaking training for myself and I started working as a contractor for different organizations that were delivering leadership skills or life skills for young people. And in the meanwhile, I was taking a diploma in life coaching, youth coaching, management coaching. And that has been the transition. And I remember that after a couple of years, then I was ready to run my first event and I called my business partner we created the company at the time and we partner up and say, okay, we might not know yet what we want to talk about, but now we know quite few speakers. So why don't we create 
something. We invite a bunch of people <laughs> and <laughs> we give them the, the opportunity to listen from some of the people that uh, have been very influential and very inspirational for us. And that's how it all started. What year was this? I oh, don't right. remember the year, but it was uh, uh, five and a half years ago. Okay, great. And, and since then, you guys have built four seven-figure businesses. Is that correct? No, these are multi-six-figure businesses. Multi-six-figures, yes. Yeah, the conversation that uh, the business that we have at the moment, any particular business doesn't turn over seven-figure. Gotcha. But Yes. So we are, we have four businesses now, one that are, three are very linked to each other and the one is completely separate. So one business is the speaking and training that we do for people mm -hmm. to turn them into authorities in their niche. And that's where we teach them how to run events, how to run seminars, how to run webinars, how they can position themselves as an authority in their niche. Then we have a, a digital marketing agency where we help them to create their online programs, their funnels, uh, because th they need to have their online backend sorted right. <laughs> if they want to have this positioning. And then we also have a, an event management company. So if people want to do events in the UK, because we do so many events, uh, we have built a team and also we've built a great relationship with venues. And we can get venue in five-star hotels that will cost thousands of pounds a day uh, for literally few hundred quid mm. uh, just because of the volume and the relationship that we have. And then the last company is a sales training for recruitment agencies, uh, which is completely uh, directed by my business partner. I <laughs> not, don't know much about the corporate <laughs> world because I never worked a day in my life in corporate, but his background was sales training for recruitment, and that's where this part of the consulting business started. Gotcha. And for the events business, you're doing 200 events a year now, correct? Yeah. Over 200 events. And you're live at those 200 events speaking? Yep. Wow. So well, that's, that's, my, that's my main speaking. So let's break down the 200 events. Okay. About 90 of these, they are our own events. Okay. Our GTEx seminars, while the other 110, 100, 110, then they're going to be, uh, there are other events where I'm invited as a speaker, like for example, the Freedom X right. festival where we're at. And, and I want to talk more about your, well, let's talk about the art of speaking and presenting in front of the room, and then we'll dive into um, the art of becoming a speaker and getting more events to invite you and come back. So we'll go yeah. back, we'll go back to speaking. Um, over those years, the past five, five and a half years, you've become a master speaker and I've seen it myself. You I, immediately, when you started, I knew how, um, good you were and how well-trained you were. Actually, I thought maybe you did some street performances because you, <laughs> you, you, that's how like engaging, like you could be a really good street performer, uh, and not saying that in any disrespectful way, because no, you, you know what? I, what I'll tell you, I actually did. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, it's mainly for necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, I so you saw there that I was playing a, a traditional Vietnamese instrument, yes. uh, but my main instrument is a didgeridoo, 
Right, that's right. And, uh, I play didgeridoo and I do beatboxing with a didgeridoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone is curious, uh, you can check my TEDx talk, uh, which is called Sleeping with Your Clients. Not mm-hmm. talk anymore about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can check yes. it out and understand why the title. But I start that with a didgeridoo. And uh, uh, the didgeridoo for me has been a way to pay my bills where I was basking in the street. And <laughs> I used to go to my office uh, in central London, uh, running my business, and then uh, during peak time, I was popping out with a didgeridoo and uh, (laughs) and a speaker, and I was making uh, 20, 30 pounds, and (laughs) coming back (laughs) into my business. So, yeah, I did some street performance, but never been professionally trained in there. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And and why, I have to ask, why the didgeridoo? Like, did you pick this up when you were in Italy as a young man, or where did it come from? Oh, is a, a didgeridoo, for those of you that don't know, is an Austra- Aboriginal um, instrument from Australia. And uh, it kind of found me. Um, I was at this very boring party <laughs> in Notice, Chris, this party that are so boring that you find anything else to do to entertain yourself. Uh-huh. And I was, it was, I think it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I was looking around the room, finding something to do. And there was a didgeridoo in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. So I picked it up, I did the first blow. It didn't work out. <laughs> it sounded like a fart. <laughs> so I went on YouTube and <laughs> spent the next six hours up until like nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> to play that dumb thing. But the funny story is that when I came, when I arrived back in London, uh, here in the UK, you have this um, way where if people are moving house, they will leave the stuff that they don't want outside their front door for people to pick up. Right. So I arrived in front of my house, and guess what there was? It's on a my didger- didgeridoo. It's a freaking didgeridoo. That's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I was already at the time in the law of attraction and these kind of things. I was saying, you know what? If this is not a sign, what else? Right. So that was my first didgeridoo. And then I moved house a few months later, and guess what my flatmate had? He had a didgeridoo. Another didgeridoo. And she said, well, you're playing the didgeridoo. I'm not using it. Here is one for you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I found it also very easy to, to play. It was almost natural. And um, I'm a big believer in uh, following what's natural for us. Right. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, if we have uh, a gift or something looks easy or s- it feels easy, then is a great uh, pointer in which direction we should go um, on person on a personal level. So that's why uh, I picked the jury do up and the the rest is, is history. Is history, yes. <laughs> I, I wish. Know- Italian speaker with a didgeridoo. <laughs> I start with a didgeridoo. I really wish you would have had uh, your didgeridoo at Freedom X. That would have been a lot of fun. But you had a similar instrument, right? Like a mini didgeridoo. That that was a, a called mouth harp, and okay. is a Vietnamese instrument. That version, but also there is a Jewish version, which right? Is called the Jewish harp. harp, yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I love uh, quirky Aboriginal kind of tribal instruments. That's that's a bit of my, my fetish, let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, it, it's good to be interesting. Um, we had we had a guy on the podcast that sells Didgeridoo's online, and I believe he owns Didgeridoo.com, I'm pretty sure, Australian guy. So, um, Probably if, have some of his tutorial while I was learning myself on yeah, YouTube then. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay, so... So 200 events a year, like I know your schedule has got to be crazy. How do you, how do you balance that out when you're going, do you ever get burnout on speaking? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes, I do. What, what do you do? Uh, what do you do to, to maintain that? There are a few things that I do. Um, oh, the majority, about 80% of my speaking gigs are local. Okay. Uh, now, uh, being a speaker and having a lot of speaking opportunities is a, is a matter of location. Mm-hmm. Now we are talking about location independence. If you are, if you live in a, a small town in the countryside, maybe in Italy, like where I live, <laughs> like where you where you live, <laughs> it's very difficult to get a speaking gig there, or, or there is a lot of traveling involved. Yeah. Now, I'm very lucky because my base is London, and I live in London. And we had this very interesting uh, that debate uh, around location independence at the festival, where I can be location independent, but I actually love London. And I love the freedom to live in London when I want and when I choose. But about nine months of the year, for me, they are spent in London. I love it. It's great for business. There is a buzz in the city that I haven't found anywhere else in the world. And all the speaking gigs that I get, they are not more than 45 minutes to an hour distance door to door. Yeah. It becomes very easy to manage such a high demand of speaking or a high level of speaking engagement because sometimes I will have a speaking gig 15 minutes from where I live. I take an Uber, I'm there, I'm back, and it's done. So that's uh, how I keep the demand. And then I will have some international speaking gigs or other speaking gigs uh, around the country, which I will carefully choose. No, I was going to ask you, how do you, how do you choose those? Like, um, what makes you think, you know, this, this will be the right event? Uh, do you measure the ROI on it or what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so there are a few things that I'm looking at. First of all, is the audience uh, my right target client? Right. Then uh, what's the history of an event? If it's an event which is the first time they run, unless they can give me some serious, okay, this is the amount of registration we have, this amount of paid tickets, these are the other speakers involved, uh, then uh, I would avoid events that are run for the very first time unless it's for it from a team that have run event before. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, it's my time and if I spend a half a day traveling somewhere or I need to stay overnight, uh, I want to make sure that uh, it's worthwhile and it's not just a waste of time or someone who is a bit naive that uh, they're launching their first event and think they can get 100 people in the room just clicking their fingers. Right. Uh, while in London, I'm much more flexible. Uh, I'm a big believer of the philosophy that the more you speak, the more you speak. Right. And uh, I personally believe as well that uh, no speaking gig is a free speaking gig. Elaborate on that. Yeah. Most of the time, uh, I actually don't 
almost ever get paid to speak. Mm. Um, that's a choice because uh, I make way more money, way more by selling a product or service. And when people want to pay a keynote speaker, unless you are Tony Robbins or Les Brown (laughs) (laughs) or Oprah (laughs) or Mary Forleo, that's a different thing. But uh, if you are like us, then um, people will give you the choice. Uh, If they have budget, they will pay you, Mm -hmm. but then uh, they will not allow you to sell. Well, I would rather be allowed to sell because I can make... uh, 10, 20 times, 50 times more just by selling, even with a small audience, than a, a, the average keynote speaker, which, uh, you know, for a good keynote speaker, you'll get, you know, paid uh, 5000 to $10,000 mm-hmm. uh, per gig. And that's already for someone who has a really good, a great reputation and uh, has already a lot of contacts and event organizers. I can make uh, <laughs> hundred thousand or sixty thousand or seventy thousand just with uh, uh, forty, fifty people in the room. So really? I'd rather have that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so is and is it predictable? Right now that I'm doing it many times, I already know depending on the size of the audience and the kind of people that are there, how much money I'm gonna make and how many clients I'm going to get. Because uh, selling from the stage is an art and a science at the same time. Yeah. It's an art because it's performance. But it's a science because there is a structure. Right. And it's predictable. And people behave in very similar ways. So, of course, there is the odd event where I'm completely off where I say, oh, actually, I was expecting to make way more money or way less money. And then something unexpected happens. But the average is uh, pretty consistent. So when you're looking in an event um, and say they won't let you sell, you, you mentioned that there's three things that you try to do at an event, collect leads, sell from the stage, and what was the third thing? Um, uh, so there were three things. One is uh, getting paid. Getting paid, so yeah. Getting paid, sell from the stage, and leads. Okay. Get leads. So depending on the priority of the way your business runs, those three things will change. Okay. And, um, yeah. And if you're not uh, selling from the stage, you're getting paid, you're collecting leads. Absolutely. How would you measure the ROI on that? Um, saying, yes, it is a target market of your preferred audience. And what does that preferred audience look like? Uh, do you mean what the preferred audience looks like for me or uh, the, okay. So for me, the perfect audience is uh, people that are running businesses uh, using their personal brand, their skills and expertise. Mm-hmm. So someone this, uh, wants to say, I want to use my personal brand. I want to use my face to grow my business and, uh, or I'm open to it. Then for me is a good audience. Okay. Uh, because that's what uh, we train people in. How do you create this attraction to you? And uh, in particular, using live events and using live speeches. So in the, in the back end of their mind, they, or they already thinking about running events or running uh, or speaking to grow their business. This for me is uh, 
the perfect audience. Got it. And so then how many, to know that it is going to provide an ROI for you, how many people in the audience would you need? 10. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because between 10, there is always, uh, so when I sell, uh, so let's look at if I'm selling from the stage, uh, um, so the, the, the rule of thumb is the smaller the audience, the higher the conversion. Okay, really? Because you can create a, a more intimate environment with them. You can get to know them personally. You have more time to to be personable with them. So intimacy uh, sells more than feeling like a number in the audience. Right. What are some ways that you create that intimacy? Asking questions. Yeah. Asking what they would like to get out from the talk leaving time for having a part of the talk which is structured and another one which is responsive to Q&A or might be a role play or it might be some uh, live coaching there where I can create that, uh, that dialogue with them instead of being, this is the content, here, take it and go away, is let's create the content together. Wow. So how and many... Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. It please. requires uh, it requires uh, a higher level in terms of facilitation skills, and of course, you need to really know what you're talking about, because uh, some people will ask you questions that, uh, if you don't uh, know how to answer them, then all your reputation will boom will fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> so always make sure that whenever you talk or whenever you use uh, this kind of facilitation ways you exactly know what you're talking about 100%. Right. How many people a year do you think you're speaking in front of? Uh, 10,000 plus, depending from, yeah, average 10,000 plus every year. Got it. And, And so let's talk more about getting speaking gigs or getting to speak at events. Um, Your strategy was really on point, but also what I loved about it is also strategy I use a lot is is kind of the giving model. So uh, you'll support organizations that come in and um, no matter what challenges they're having, you'll you'll be the speaker there that's uh, supporting them, that's giving them a hand up instead of the speaker that's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, you guys suck, da-da-da-da-da, you know. Mm-hmm. My tent has a hole in it, blah, 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 you know. And, yeah. and so um, could you could you give an example of the strategies that you use? And let's talk about specifically uh, getting speaking gigs first. Absolutely. Um, there is a... Um, I didn't even know that there was a called a giving model, <laughs> or maybe you called it this way. But it's something that now it made me reflect. I've always done, and I think it just comes to be being a nice human being. Yeah, and uh, also that was one of the great strategy of use because uh, organizing. I'm uh, not only a speaker; I'm an event organizer. So. I can tell you so many fuck ups that I did. Events, <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea, uh-huh. right? Yeah. From uh, getting a hundred fifty people sitting in a boiling room uh, um, with no aircon that was working, and we all the five aircons in the room that were dripping water down the side. Um, so literally, almost everything that could go wrong uh, happened 
to one of my events and and then you learn and, and make sure that you don't repeat the same mistake next time so i think that uh, as you call it the giving model works incredibly well because uh, first of all you're showing empathy to another human being and you're supporting them when they need your support not when they don't need it right <laughs> and therefore they will be grateful to you um unless they're not nice human being themselves <laughs> but that's a different it's a different story because sometimes that happens too but it all comes down to being a nice human being so that's one that you already said uh, another way to get speaking gigs which is the one that uh, i love the most in particular if you can if you're local uh, let's explore if you're local and if you are not local so if you're local the best thing you can do is to attend the event you want to speak at the reason why by attending that event you will build a relationship with an event organizer and remember event organizers they will receive some of them they might receive a hundred emails for people wanting to speak at their events so they get bored and they get tired of having people that have no relationship with they say hey I want to speak at your event right so when you are going there first of all you are showing that you care and they and also they can put a face to the name and it's not about getting the speaking when you're there getting the speaking gig when you're there you're going at the event you are meeting say hey my name is uh, is chris my name is simone i i I want just to let you know how great this event is i absolutely love it Uh, of course if the event is good But I would say it anyway. (laughs) Great job. And I will focus only on the things that I believe are great uh, of the event. So I will make specific examples. And uh, then I know that they are busy. So I will let them go with the event. But I will make sure that throughout the event, I touch base with them. Or I might see if they need any external help. Or I might be the person who interacts with the other people and brings people together. Just because I want the event organizer to see to see me right and then at the end of the event when things are coming down when people are leaving i will be one of the first to arrive and i will be the, the last one to leave that's my role so then i can catch the event organizer when is and i can chill down mode and most of the time they will go for drinks with the speakers uh which is a great opportunity also to build the relationship with the speakers that are there and I will ask them, can I join Can I join the, the party? Nine times out of 10, there are only two, three people over a thousand that I will ask this question. <laughs> so, <laughs> unless you are talking again uh, to an event with some huge influencers, like when we did the event with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, mm-hmm. uh, there was, uh, everyone wanted to join the party. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different situation. But then I would follow up after and I would say, hi, it's been a great event. Uh, thank you very much for the drinks after. If I've been to the drinks or it's been great to meet you, uh, I would love to know how you select your speakers. And that's the start of the conversation. So I wouldn't even pitch myself. Hey, I'm a speaker. Look at me. Hire me. Say, hey, how do you select your speakers? And then they will tell you their criteria. And if I match their criteria or I'll find a way to match their criteria, and then I'll, uh, I have way more chances to get myself booked compared to all the other hundreds of emails that they receive. 
so that's that's one that's incredible man and you kind of have an example of many events where you've brought in your own team i don't know many but you gave an example of an event where you brought in your own team to support the organizer because the the organizer was new and didn't know so much of what what yeah that was was yeah that was the event with gary vaynerchuk that we did yeah um we um, um we, which also we realized that is a, is a common friend <laughs> yes <laughs> the organizer a common friend uh, they organize the event like a lot of event organizers they have a, a great vision and they deeply care about uh, uh, the people that they are coming at the event but they are not uh, professionals in terms of organizing events so knowing that you don't know what you don't know there are a lot of things that you can leave and you can uh, um, underestimate <laughs> in particular right. the amount of effort and work and people that are required to run a large event. And so that's what happened. Uh, I did the same with uh, Les Brown as well and uh, the same with Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, I bought the same time, the exact same situation. I said, do you need any help? That's, <laughs> do you need any help? I know you're bringing Les Brown to London. I know you're bringing Gary Vee to London. Do you need any help for the event? Rule of thumb, event organizer always needs help. Of course. <laughs> always. <laughs> Even if they are the best team in the world. Because they might need crew members. Uh, they might need um, uh, help and support in promoting the event. Uh, you never know where they need help, but they will need help. Always. Yeah. It's very, very, very true. And so then that day we said, okay, what if I bring all my people and I got all our clients and we trained them up for the event and we managed to create the event, uh, for example, with Gary V or also with the one with this Brown with a thousand people that was running like clockwork. Wow. And it was two incredible experiences. And with Les Brown, I ended up also speaking on that stage as well and emceeing the entire event for the full day. Um, one of the best experiences of my life. If somebody's starting out, Simone, what are some tips to help them start getting speaking gigs pretty quickly? And you, you went through, you, you gave a really good process, but I'm thinking like, you know, a lot of people who are starting out are probably pretty insecure. I think volunteering is a huge thing and it's actually helped mm-hmm. me get more speaking gigs. What are some of the things that you did starting out? Uh, volunteering, definitely yeah. one. I started volunteering at other people's events to understand how they will run their events. And you learn more by observing than by doing them, actually. Because um, at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you don't even know what you're looking for. But by crewing, I think I've crewed uh, more than 30 or 40 events before starting my own. And uh, it was priceless. That experience was priceless because I've understood how to deal with the other speakers. And every time I was volunteering, I was covering a different role. So it made me explore the different dynamics of, uh, of the event. And it's very easy to get in. Say, hey. Do you need free help? <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. And that will be the step number one. Uh, step number two, there are a lot of local networking events. Of course, it depends always where you live. If you're living in a city, but even in small towns, there are networking events. 
and a lot of networking organizations by being part of their memberships allow their members to give a presentation or to give a five minutes pitch or um, to give a, a, a smaller workshop to their members that's one of the way they keep their members engaged and that's practice ground so you're practicing in a safe environment that's uh, if you're already going to practice level the other thing if someone is very insecure and uh, but even if someone is really good as well, I would recommend to invest in speaking training because speaking training is what allows you to get better. Again, it's a practice in a safe environment, but in particular, you have someone that gives you feedback. While the audience uh, nine times out of 10 will not be honest with you. It's true. Uh, they will come to you and they say, oh yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> Or if they if they really like you, they say, oh, really amazing, I love that. Or they might not say anything. So you don't, and, but also they are not speaker trainers. So they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need to look for, what to look for most of the time. So by attending a speaking training, then you will be able to uh, have that feedback and build your confidence. And then you're crewing and then you're starting your first event. Um, maybe not a full day event. Maybe you're starting with an evening if you want a couple of hours and then you're building up from there. That's what we did. We started our events uh, hosting them and inviting external speakers. Then as part of the series, I hosted my, did my first ever 90 minutes presentation. And then we ended up running an evening, an entire evening. And then we end up running an entire day, going to an entire weekend going to an entire three days and now going to run like five or six days. We're doing a five-day retreat in Thailand in January, which is super cool. Um, but you build step by step. One other misconception I think that's out there, Simone, is the amount of time that it takes to create an event. And I'm curious, since you guys are doing so many, what would you say the man hours are to create, and this is even before the event starts, the man hours it takes to create an event on average? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I can say that it's great to plan, plan your events, in particular if you're starting out and you don't have a list yet, at least three months in advance. And the reason why, it is because... Uh, is is not as easy as it looks like <laughs> to get people in a room. <laughs> very true. Particularly if it's paid, <laughs> but even if free. Because uh, remember, there are a lot of things that they need to do. They need to find the event interesting. They need to be free on that day. Um, maybe if they have the children arrange childcare for the day or arrange their partner to be with them if they have a partner. So there are a lot of things that need to consider. So it's very, there are so many dynamics and maybe the transports are not working and the route is not the, the, the easiest route for them to reach the event. Now, all these dynamics and all these um, uh, X <laughs> that uh, can, uh, can, be, can be changed. So take a, a good three months to uh, fill up your event, whether it's free, whether it's paid if you're starting out. Otherwise, start with one month or one month and a half if it's a free event and you already have a list because then in that way, and also it depends how big your list is and how big your authority, authority is. But if you're starting out, yeah, three months, 
to get people together to hire someone maybe to work with you and to give you some help with that uh, to fill up the places to also for you to get other external speaking gigs to fill up your own event because if you're only relying unless you have a strong um, army of affiliates that are going to promote this event for you then you will need also to go and speak about this event that you have coming up and it takes time for an event organizer to schedule in as a speaker so by the time you make the request it's not necessary actually very rarely you will be booked uh, two weeks down the line <laughs> you <laughs> be booked three months six months in advance most of the time or two months so by giving you a three months lead time then uh, you increase your chances also to get external speaking gigs as well. I want to ask you, um, when you do present in front of the room and you want to make sure you get results, what kind of preparation and being so experienced, I'm sure you've, you've got it down pretty well, but uh, how could you advise people to come in with a presentation expecting and getting clarity on getting results? Does that make sense? What do you intend as a result? What's your definition of results? Well, there? it's either leads uh, sa or sales. Okay, right. So well, because uh, the reason why I'm asking, uh, Chris, it is because every presentation will have uh, a different outcome. Okay. Some of them uh, will be leads and sales. You might actually just do a presentation just because of the exposure that the event gives you. So when I did uh, the MCing with Les Brown, I wasn't selling, I wasn't speaking, I was there to make the event happen and gel the event together. But there was literally, hi, my name is Simone Vincenzi, I'm your host for today. So my outcome wasn't getting leads or selling. And the, the reason why it's important to have this uh, in mind is because uh, the outcome will determine the nature of the presentation the outcome that you want to achieve. So in this case, if it's leads, getting leads or selling, there is one really important piece of the puzzle that every speaker must be aware of, which is making the offer, whether it is something free in exchange of their email address and phone number, or whether it is a paid product, making the offer relevant to the content that they are delivering and complementary to the content that they are delivering. What do I mean about that? If, uh, for example, let's take the example of what I did when we, um, when you saw me at the Freedom X Festival, I was delivering the presentation on uh, how to build a seven-figure nomadic speaking business. So I was talking about the different ways, if you are starting up, if you are intermediate, if you are advanced, on how to build that speaking business, how to get speaking gigs. Then I did the Q&A to make that more interactive and to answer the question and to build a bit more intimacy. And the call to action was uh, our selling from the stage checklist, which uh, I wasn't there to sell. I was there to get doing lead generation. So I had a call to action, which was uh, complementary to what I said so far, because one of the things that I mentioned during the presentation was the importance of learning how to sell from the stage. But the presentation wasn't about selling from the stage, it was about building a speaking business. 
And one of the skills that you need to have is selling from the stage. Oh, guess what? <laughs> I got a checklist to teach you how to sell him from the stage. Really? No way. <laughs> and uh, uh, or the other things that I offered was the free training on 15 ways of finding speaking gigs. Because I know that the biggest questions that are coming from the audience are, how do I find speaking gigs? Great, I got 15 ways for you to find speaking gigs. And it, you see that that creates that builds up wanting people because they're already sold on the concept. Being that the premise of this series is, is seven figure location, independent businesses, Simone throughout the time, five and a half years that you've built these businesses up, what are some key things that you do to make sure that you have and the business is going to be and keep you location independent? Uh, yeah. Um, a team. So not a fixed office. In this case, uh, we don't have. We have a base in London, but I'm actually don't have an office. Uh, we have for all the companies a shared office space that we use for hot desking. And when I need a meeting room, I will hire a meeting room to meet the team, or uh, we will use hotel rooms uh, and hire them when we have to meet the team. Because right now. We have about 13 team members in our businesses and uh, um, six uh, of them, seven of them are, are London-based. And the others are uh, Wang, my virtual assistant in the Philippines. Shweta is in digital marketing in Canada. But the majority are London-based. And uh, I think uh, that freedom of not having a physical location when you need to be in every single time, that's one of the things that keeps the location independence uh, f flexibility going. The other thing that I do to ensure it uh, is also to create, uh, to have enough team members for me to be able to take a step back and go away. Because uh, my business is actually a very local business. We run, uh, the majority of our training is offline. Uh, I believe personally that, uh, yes, there is value in online, but offline is where people get the most result because you are with people, you meet them, you are seeing with them the energy, the accountability, the, the, the buzz that is creating when you bring people together in person is not matched anywhere online. So my business is a local business, actually, very local, London. I will have people traveling internationally, I have actually people flying from US, uh, from Australia to attend some of our training, but they are just one in a minute. Like, <laughs> they're not <laughs> too, uh, too many, in particular on a frequent basis. Um, so having team members that can step in so then I can go away and the training runs without me, that's crucial. In fact, uh, in October, I will be speaking in Malta and in an event in Malta. And at the same time, I had an event on speaking training for our members. So now our speaker trainer is running that event and I will be speaking in Malta. So that gives me that flexibility. So these are the two things. And one more question. We'll wrap everything up, Simone. Regarding the speaking business specifically, what do you think the difference is uh, in the mindset of a five-figure speaking business, a six-figure speaking business, and a seven-figure speaking business? Oh, that's a great question. 
So the mindset of a, a five-figure speaking business needs to be, um, I'm just here like every single opportunity I'm going and I'm testing and uh, I, I don't need, like, even if I screw up, it's fine. Because uh, you are there to build up your confidence. You're there to build up, uh, to find your natural style. You're there to create your content and your pitch. So don't put too much pressure on yourself and be there just to screwing up. And um, somehow you will have the random client that will come and sign up. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right? You got five figures. Hey. Then when you are six figures, it's all about uh, conversion. It's all about increasing conversions and making sure that you're able to convert to small rooms. Now we can, uh, one of the things that got us so far, it was because we were able to make six figures uh, with rooms of 15, uh, 17 people. And that builds the cash flow and also builds everything else to then grow to the seven figures where you are all about completely outsourcing every single part of that business. So it's about finding high leverage opportunities, is less about uh, I speak wherever, and uh, is about uh, finding large audiences because you already know that you can convert into small audiences. So now it's about becoming great at converting the larger audiences and finding, in particular, those event organizers, those promoters that will fill the room for you, that uh, uh, the team that will run the events as well uh, for you, where the only thing you're doing at that stage, that's the only thing you're doing, is stepping on stage and stepping out. All the rest is handled. That's such a different kind of stages. Got it. And what about the seven-figure mentality? That, that's the seven-figure That's mentality. the seven, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, the six-figure is about converting, uh, increasing the conversion and making sure that uh, your content is finalized, you know, your target audience, you know, your content. Y y every time you go on stage, you convert, and then you increase those conversion from 10% to 20, from 20 to 30, to 30 to 40, from 40 to 50. And then when you're the seven figures, then it's about... Uh, the mass audiences got it and outsourcing every single part man i wish i had a notepad and piece of paper to take notes but i'm gonna have to re-listen to this this podcast a couple <laughs> times because that content was gold i really do appreciate it thank you so much simone for sharing all your wisdom and tips and tricks and everything that you had we really do appreciate it i know when i saw you present that you had incredible content and I was excited to get you on the show. And uh, I was actually on Simone's podcast too. So we're going to push that episode out to the listeners here pretty soon. And then I'll let you know when this episode goes live. But again, thank you so much, my friend. I really do appreciate all the time and all the tips that you shared. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. I wanted to let you know that Simone was nice enough to offer a selling from the stage checklist for the listeners of the Business Method Podcast. We'll put the links in the show notes, but check it out if you're interested in learning more about public speaking and selling from the front of the room with results that convert. Check out the link. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.